Well, here we are for another episode of Colored Commentary, colorful colorful conversations by colorful people uh, about Christianity, culture, and race. And uh, I'm your host, Marcus Lloyd, here with my uh, co-host and best friend, Antoine Malone. How are you this morning, Antoine? What's up, everybody? How are y'all doing today? Excited, excited this morning to talk about what we're going to get to talk about. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little off t- today because I, of the topic. I think I am, bit. too. I'm a little more emotional, I think, this morning than I typically am for for a show and for the topic. So, you know, for, yeah. the, for the people, I think you could bear with us maybe for a little bit, I yeah. think, because it's going to be, um, it could be a little bit different today, I think. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah, just because, I, I don't know, I, I it's, there's an aspect of where we, we don't tend to do as many reactive types of podcasts. Although, you know, we had obviously some of the reaction to the Disney uh, situation, but we tend to like to just kind of get ahead of it and get more proactive about it. Uh, and I don't know, this this particular topic is is, is a very complicated topic. Yeah. Um, there's a lot going into it. And it's, it's a moving target right now, too, right? It's still really early. This is kind of, we weren't wanting to sort of release this particular podcast, right? We, we had other things in mind, but kind of got yeah. together, you know, yesterday and like, let's jump in and, and do this. Uh, it, so, for, so for the audience, we're going to be talking about the mass shootings that happened uh, in El Paso and Dayton. Uh, and, and that's, again, it's a, it's a reactive to that. And so what I understand, and you probably do too, Antoine, is like, I mean, we're still in the middle of a lot of conversations about this. So there's, Absolutely. there's stuff that's going to come out even emotions, after this. Emotions are still raw-ish. Yeah. Uh, more... I don't know that it's just something that if I'm just getting older <laughs> and getting more, feeling more emotive than normal, but I found myself lately just, 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 uh, I mean, I've been thinking about this particular issue probably for three and a half days and I, usually I can get it out. You know, uh-huh. like I did a Facebook live thing uh-huh. and, and did a couple of ways of sort of talking about stuff. And a lot of times that's all I would need, yeah. you know, just yeah. get it out and then I'm done. And, um, like, even this morning, still, I'm yeah, kind of still, still feeling it. Yeah, I'm still, still working through all of the aspects of this thing. Yeah, and that's what's, you know, look, in, I see it in lots of folks, and, and in you as, as well, right? I mean, we've been friends for a long time, and, uh, you know, I don't see you, you from an emotional standpoint, I think I tend to be the, the higher uh, reactivity of, of as far as, like, the yeah. outplay of emotion, right? Yours is usually is a bit more controlled and and uh, intelligent, if you will. Uh, and so I, I think just even watching you do your, your Facebook uh, Live the other day, right, I saw a lot of emotion that I don't get to see very often yeah. uh, in you. And so I knew that, that was a, that's, a, that's a big topic. It's part of the reason why I think we wanted to jump in here because it's, it's an emotional thing. And if, I think for me, uh, for if, if, you know, friendships and people are a barometer, seeing you get it, it, sort of that emotional state, I, I recognize that um, there are people who don't tend to show that emotion that may be feeling that emotional state uh, yeah. based on these, you yeah. know, these shootings. Or I'm just going through male menopause. <laughs> That's, that could be that could be a possibility, too. You haven't, I was, you know. I was in a group of guys yesterday, and he's like, yeah, you know, you just did more estrogen and after, right. you, after you turn 40 years old. I'm like, oh, oh, oh that's the thing. He's like, no, no, I'm just joking. I'm like, well, I don't know. And then Lisa comes up, and she's like, yeah, I don't know what's going on with you. My wife, Lisa. Oh, you know? okay. Anyway, but it was all in good jokes because these people know that I don't normally. Yeah. Do you know get all get all around? So we'll just blame it on the estrogen. That's what it is. I mean, it it was all a, the, yeah, yeah. That was a myth, I guess. But well, well, well. So what? Okay, so we are talking about these shootings, and um, I think because I'm thinking about just 
we're colored commentary, right? So part of the reason we want to talk about this is because there are some, as we talk about Christianity, culture, and race, uh, there are some aspects of the shootings that have racial implications, right? That have yeah, cultural implications. And definitely. so uh, particularly the, the shooting in El Paso. Yeah. Um, and so probably for this particular podcast, we don't know where it's going to go, but we'll probably focus in mostly on, on that one and the implications of that uh, as opposed to Dayton. Not that Dayton isn't... isn't uh, isn't something worth our time, but I think just because of the brand we have, I think that's we'll, we'll, we'll dig in on that. Right? Yeah, and I and I think I'm gonna take two seconds just yeah. to say that you know there's probably somebody in the audience say, well, wow, how convenient you're just going to talk about that one, but not talk about the other one. And um, I think I think my answer to that just quickly is that you know you take all of the incidents individually. You know, like sure. the, the presence of one yeah. shoot uh, a mass shooting doesn't negate. The, the presence of the other one. So um, we're, we're, we're talking for our brand. We're talking about the one that, um, you know, they all could have been preventable one way or another. And so in this particular scenario, the one in El Paso is the one that, man, when you look at them, we don't know what's going on in Dayton yet. Right. But you look at the one in, in, in El Paso, you're like, man, this one, he gave us a manifesto. Yeah, it's a bit he more gave cut us, and dry. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he lets us know why he does it. And, and we can look at that one, deconstruct that, and, and ask ourselves, man, what could have what could have been uh, done to to eliminate that that outcome? And, and you could talk about that without the, you know, making that more um, important. more important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that it's a more cut and dry scenario, and yeah. so we're we're choosing to focus in on that. So our, our hearts are broken for those people in in uh, Dayton and everyone that community is affected by that as much as it is with El Paso, right? Um, so I, I wanted to clear that up because there may be people in the room and may, may think we're taking some sort of political bend or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and taking only the conversations that are beneficial to our to to our thoughts. And I don't believe that's true at all. Right, right. And it's so hard, you know, in the midst of the conversation too. When you're, you know, I think when people want to talk about uh, things like a mass shooting, they want us, they want us, they want it to be separate from the political fodder that's out there. But when you get a a, a shooter that gives you Again, a manifesto kind yeah. of talking about why yeah. he or yeah. she would do this. Uh, you've got to deal with the facts of like, okay, what, what, why did they do this? And so, so we have El Paso, right? You have this is it's such an it's such a strange. No, that's not the right word. It's so uh, it tells a lot uh, about the situation. Gives a lot away. So you've got this cat, right? We're not going to mention his name, right? So. Um, Coming all the way from our neck of the woods, yeah, Antoine, right? From like Allen. from Allen, Texas, right? That's right down the street from where we're even recording. Um, and it's, it's two point seven. He, he's from a particular housing development that's two point seven miles from my house. Wow, wow! And so this cat drives all the way ten hours down to El Paso to this particular Walmart. Uh, which is a very popular Walmart right there on the border uh, of Mexico and the United States. You have a lot of folks coming in from Mexico that are going shopping there. It's it's back to school shopping. Wow. Lots of children. Right. Uh, I think when I was I was reading about it, three thousand people were in that Walmart wow. that had come. It was at capacity when this dude came in with his assault rifle mm. and started lighting the place up. And when we look at his manifesto we see that there was a particular reason he chose this area of the country because of the Latinos that were there. Absolutely. Right. It was the, it was the port of entry, if you will, in his brain. That's my words, but. Well, and it's such a, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a center point of a lot of the political discussion around immigration 
uh, El Paso plays that role. Right. When we're talking about border control, whatever, a lot of times it'll be somebody from El Paso kind of talking and uh, the newscasters will be in El Paso. We've got obviously uh, Beto O'Rourke, who kind of came out of there, who is a a Democratic uh, candidate. Uh, So it becomes uh, a political spot. And so it, it almost seemed intentional. Uh, and uh, and I think just with the views of this this young man who's only 21 years old, right, yeah. uh, to have that much, not the word is the word will sound bad to say wherewithal, but he was very intentional about going down and doing that. What so you read you got to read the, the manifesto. I did. I did. What, any particular parts of that 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 speak into this conversation? Uh, uh, well, you, you know, I, I hope we're going to get we're, we're, we'll get to this, but you know, uh, the the manifesto sounds uh like there's a lot of racial whistleblowing in there um but i guess my thought coming out of the manifesto was is racist too broad a title Mm. for understanding what's going on in other words like it's starting to feel to me like racism maybe i shouldn't say starting to feel but Mm -hmm. Um, racism is a category, and underneath that category are different types of racist. And so, like when I went, when I finished reading the manifesto, I didn't. I'm gonna tell you, like my first thought was not, "Man, this guy's a racist." What I what I read and what I heard him writing, <laughs> saying in his writing, was that he's a self preservationist, mm-hmm. and that somehow racism spoke into his idea idea of what it means to be preserved or to be uh to to self-preserve in his station in america um i don't think that he hates uh brown people because they're brown i think he hates brown people or he was willing to kill brown people because they had an effect on his way of life and he wanted to save himself from those effects and so that's a different kind of racism than, say, the Ku Klux Klan that looks at maybe black people or, or anyone who looks at black black or people of color and say, I don't like you because you're brown or because I don't believe that you're uh, I believe that you're you know, you're the, the enemy of my theology or, you know, there's there's all these shades, if you will, of racism. And so here we have a guy who for some reason got convinced to do racist activity because he felt it was the best way to self-preserve. You know, I don't want to be replaced. I don't want to be uh, these people coming in and changing the way I live and how I live. And so I think we could do re- racism, but I think is uh, I think is I walked away feeling far more interested in understanding the psychology around this self-preservation piece. Well, look, I, 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 maybe maybe that is a, a conversation of semantics. Because ultimately what he is espousing is something that has been ideologically historical in this country, which is a, a stratification of a particular type of, of people, one being at the top and, and the others being below. Uh, and this speaks to the, the construction, and we'll talk about this in another podcast, the construction, if you will, of whiteness in in the world and particularly in this country where there is a particular group of people who have a particular skin color who get to be at the top and want to stay at the top. And when anybody tries to take that position, right, then there will be repercussions. And so it it happens in our society that that stratification and that differentiation is along color lines. And so uh, 
anybody who is not white, right? And we can go back to historically and see if you have a drop, the, the one drop rule, right? Like we want to preserve the purity of whiteness. And so any brownness, any blackness that gets inserted into that stew, if you will, ruins the whole thing. And so I, I know I can I can understand the, the desire to want to separate it from race because it, it seems like that's got that cliche. And there's, there's a lot of people out there who don't want to give it any credibility because there's racism attached to it and they don't believe that even exists. In fact, we just had a, a a guy on uh, a CNN, I can't. I think it was uh, Tucker Carlson, who who says that white supremacy is not a problem; it's a hoax, right? Uh, and so I think there's that desire for people to want to to remove race from the conversation, but we can't in the midst of the way our country is is ultimately been constructed. Yeah, um, there's always been a fear of replacement by those who are of a different hue, if you will, yeah. or who are not a part of the whiteness construction project. Yeah, I, and and I don't want to remove it. Yeah. What I want to do is zoom in. I, in my head, what I'm doing is zooming in. Okay. You know, um, I'm, I'm saying, okay, there's racism, and then there are these factions, there's these psychologies inside of racism that helps me understand who I'm dealing with and why they act. One of the things he says in his manifesto is he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm very aware that white people came to America, invaded America, uh, took over the lands from the people who were here, uh, he's like, that's precisely my point. I don't want to be like those people. Correct. Yeah. To let someone come in and do to us what, what we, we did <laughs> to other people. So yes, that's exactly right. The issue, right. right. So yeah, Zach. So he, he, this guy's not unintelligent, but what he's what he's thinking is that I've got to save my spot. You know, and, and that's what that's what yeah. I'm walking away from. Yeah. And 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 that seems to be informing his racist. Um, uh, you know, his racist actions, if you will, um, and helps me, it, for me anyway, it helps me put him in a category that isn't uh, blind bigotry and pure color of skin-based value uh, determination with regard to him. Where, where that would be, a, 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 the, the color of their skin is, 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 a, is, a, is an attachment to the thing that he's talking about. It is. Right, because again, going back to this, this idea of, you know, he wrote in his manifesto, manifesto too, I'm simply defending my country from cultural and ethnic replacement brought on by yeah. an invasion. You mentioned that he was fearful that ultimately what was done to ultimately these people would be done to him. Uh, and and I think I think if it, if these people weren't brown, this would not even be an issue. Right. Like he would not have picked this Walmart if they weren't brown. I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, these brown people are invading, which he's getting that rhetoric from a lot of the political discussion, this invasion idea. And this is where it breaks down. This is where when we talk about the, the whiteness construction project historically, once you start dehumanizing people, particularly in the, the, uh, the media, political strata, that kind of thing, it becomes so much easier for people to separate themselves from the act that they're going to do and put themselves in a place where I'm doing something to somebody who's actually not human. Right. And so that's where I would I'd probably push back a little bit is that if these cats weren't brown, he wouldn't have gone there. Like because he could have just gone to the Walmart down the street from you and I. I mean, two point seven miles from you is two point nine from me. Right. And so right. He, he there's a Walmart he could have gone to and just done his thing. But he chose that specific mm. one because of the color of those people's skin and the I would say the the political discussion that has been going on around those particular people, particularly building a wall between those people. And America, as opposed to those to the north of us, right? If it was just about invasion, he could have gone up to, you know, Canada yeah. and, or the border of Canada, Niagara Falls, and just yeah. laid waste, right? But he chose 
the yeah, brown side. He would, he would, he would. He, I'm sure he, he. I don't want to speak for this guy, but you know, Canada doesn't have a bunch of people flowing in, and in his view, mm-hmm. you know, the danger was coming from the south. Uh, you make a good point. I mean, um, I'm there with you on on all of that. You know, um, I was talking with my wife about it, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm always trying to defend. To understand, to understand people in psychology, I try to defend their point in my head, right? Okay. And I says, "Well, if I was in this guy's shoes, what would I? How would I defend myself?" Sure, the devil's advocate. On this, yes, yeah. the devil's advocate. So what I'm about to say is not necessarily reflective of my views. That's good. That's a good. Let, <laughs> let, let, me, let, me, let, me, go, let me go with it after. But but I was trying to understand this. So I was like, okay, so if I'm in Japan, right, which and, has great gun laws. Uh, yeah, I ain't nobody talking about gun laws yet, right? <laughs> but if I'm in Japan, you like Japan has a look. Like when yeah. I say, "Hey, I'm Japanese," sure, you know, there's there's a there's a kind of look associated with 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 what it means to be Japanese, and uh, the culture associated with that, and all of that. And let's just say that you know uh, the people from India, and I'm just picking random countries and people, right? People from sure. India suddenly, you know, decide, you know what, we want to move to Japan now. And so, um, for whatever reasons, they do that. And they start to do that by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands, you know. And suddenly, Japan begins to change from the culture and the history and the ideals that it that we all know and associate with Japan. And it becomes mixed with Japan and Indian. And so suddenly, you look at the country, you look at everything, everything is mixed up. And now, my identi- now the identity of the person who's Japanese they might be like, okay, wait a minute, we, we want to help people, but we also want to maintain our sense of normalcy and identity. Um, we want to be Japanese. This is our country, right? you know, and you're a guest, you know, and so um, you're welcome to be here, but not to the degree that it's going to change the general makeup of who we are and how we exist, right? And so I think if we were to step outside of ourselves and and walk through that idea that that pathway yeah we may get closer man we may never agree with it 100 percent. sure but we may get closer to the mentality of this young man agree or disagree with it and be like okay maybe this is what he's maybe this is where he's coming from he's got this misshapen idea of what belongs to him versus what belongs right. to all of us and sure. what have you and now he's at a place where he wants to say hey america looks like this yeah you know we're we're white or we're whatever and um, and when we start to bring in a bunch of people, it changes the general makeup of who we are, what's normal. And suddenly we don't know who we are. We start to look like what, you know, and that fear of the unknown of what, what, what could be the future yeah. completely changes. Yeah, you know? I, I like that you we come to look like what, right? Because, it, 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 again, it comes down to what we think the, our, the makeup of our country looks like. Right. And this guy is not I mean, he's not he's there's lots of people out there. A lot of folks would say it's just a small you know, group of folks that are thinking like that. Uh, but there's ultimately I mean, there's a, he, he was a he was a follower or he had he had he had taken up the novel The Great Replacement, uh, which is a, a very popular a popular book that has been used by uh, several gunmen, if you will. Uh, involved in attacks uh, where they have this idea of they will be replaced, right? And you remember, if you remember back in the Charleston um, rallies with the alt-right, like that was one of the things that they were they were chanting as they were walking down yeah. with their tiki torches you and polo shirts, us. you will not replace us, right? Uh, and, and I even have a, a book club that I read the book, uh, The Strange Death of Europe, where they talk a, a lot about this idea of of uh, all of these people from different countries who are moving into Europe, people who are um, who are Indian and who are from the Middle East and who are from Africa, and this this feeling of 
Europe doesn't feel like Europe anymore. Right. right. It feels like something else. And it goes into what we talked about even very early in our podcast episodes, uh, this identity that people grab onto. This, In some ways, this this how identity played into this shooting. He identified, he, he had a particular view of what America looked like mm-hmm. uh, and decided that anybody who did not fit that particular, uh, you know, archetype, that they are, they should not be here, right? Uh, and so I think that's where we get into that. Uh, we've got to be careful, right, in understanding how we identify ourselves, and even very nationalistic. How truthfully are we understanding um, the nature of our nation and the look of our nation uh, at the same time? Right. You know, because again, if you think about Europe uh, in that particular part of the world, you had people whose melanin had that lighter tone. But the original people of America didn't look like that, right? And so you'll hear that phrase like America is a country of immigrants, right? And so if that is true, and people will disagree with that somewhere along the way, uh, but if it's true that that people came to this country from other countries, like that's just fact, then we are a nation of immigrants and we're going to look different at all different. We're just going to look different. Yeah, we got the finders keepers rules, though. It's like, hey, we came here. We, you know, we uh, we as in the white community or the European came and said, hey, we want this and you're not giving it to us. We're going to kill you and take it from you. Mm -hmm. Okay, we won. You know, law of the jungle It's mine now. Yeah. And so I think the, the claim of America to white people is right there. Sure. We came over, we took it, we established a bunch of stuff, and then you came and joined us later. Sure. Right? And uh, and therefore, this is mine. And so now it's it's like, wait a minute, we did this. Mm-hmm. You know, all the things that you love about this, we love. Some of you can be here, yeah. but you can't be here enough to replace the things that made it great. Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. Because we were the ones that established the greatness of America. Yeah. Um, and so when you let too many people in, there would they would say, uh, you are you're you're diminishing the greatness of of this country and the benefits of this country because you're not going to run the country the way we would blah 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 right you know and so you have this very rational self you know survivalist self preservation right. way of looking at the thing that uh, that makes you say okay you know what now I'm going to go and drive ten hours yeah and it is better for me to set an example for killing people than. Uh, because I feel like that's the best way. Well, that's the most patriotic I can thing I can do as as an as a as a quote unquote true American, right? You know, who yeah. was born here and, and and part of a heritage that established the, the the principles that we all base our freedoms on, right? And you have that society that is that ultimately is rooted in violence, yeah, right. And so it's so maybe this is an aside. I remember when I heard the story about the shooting. <laughs> You, you know the first thought that I had, right? What was the first thought? The first thought was, please, God, oh, don't let, let this don't be, let be a black, black man. I don't let to, it be a black man or a Latino. Yo, I thought about that in both scenarios. I did. And then I this totally. stuff in Chicago came out. But, yeah. Yeah, well, definitely. And and, and now here's the thing. Right? I'm, talking, I'm thinking about this cat who just said white supremacy doesn't exist. And I'm thinking white supremacy, which is ultimately what this cat was, 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 was saying, right? He wants to preserve, if you will, in the midst of our discussion, the whiteness of this country, because that's his view, the identity of it. It looks like that. So I'm going to go down to where a lot of brown people are coming in and I'm going to shoot them up. Right. So he wants to preserve this whiteness. The preservation of whiteness, white supremacy is one of the most deadly ideologies 
uh, that this country has ever seen. It has killed the most people from its ideology. Yeah. And that's not just today. That's from the over st- the from the start. Yeah. I mean, the t- we talk about terrorism in other countries and we don't recognize the way we have been t- we have terrorized how white supremacy has terrorized individuals and communities in this country since its inception. And we don't have to go f- I mean we just saw an example of of a terrorist act that was propagated on the idea of white supremacy. And we can go back and look through, uh, I mean, there's this, uh, I say great, terrible book called White Rage, in which it kind of articulates the way in which whiteness plays itself out from a terrorist standpoint of constantly going into communities when they don't like what they're doing, when they feel like they're being taken over, when they feel like, uh, and we saw this in Reconstruction, when they felt like black people were getting too far ahead, they would literally go into neighborhoods and just blow the place. They would just tear the place down, kill a lot of folks as an act of terror and intimidation. And so ultimately, well, that's real what quick, we're I'm going yeah. I'm to I'm jump in, right? Because yeah. I think someone in the room like me, like, why terrorism? Like, why can't, why are you calling this terrorism? And so I want you to kind of, Explain yourself a little bit on that, because um, I think we might take for granted that we're like, that's terrorism. But some people are like, no, that's just a crazy dude shooting a bunch of people. <laughs> and there's a difference between someone mass shooting and or a mass murderer and a terrorist. Yeah, I think. So you how, think about I, what you make. The, when you think about terrorism, it is it is a use of violence for intimidation. Yeah. Right. Especially it's against, a fear factor. It's a fear factor. It is. It is it is a pursuit. Uh, you're trying to change the way people do the thing they're going to do by using violence, right? So in this particular deal, when we're talking about the shooting in El Paso, this man is going to try to intimidate. He is attacking a particular group of people that he feels are the enemy that are invading. And he is sending a message to the brown people in that community and the ones that would come over from the border. Hey, you don't get to do that. Yeah. Because we own this place. Yeah. And you can see that historically, right? You would see it as, I mean, when you talk about lynching, right? People yeah. would go into towns and they would they would shoot up black neighborhoods who were doing well. They'd burn down uh, different things. They would they would string up black people at black churches to just as an example. So, you know, you can't get away with stuff here. That's what caused the Great Migration so many years ago, which mm-hmm. were African-Americans leaving the South and heading into the North, into the mm-hmm. West, into those cities. That was that was a refugee crisis. They were they were fleeing terrorism in their area. And we don't talk about it that way. We just kind of no. say, oh, black people in Detroit and in Chicago and whatever. But the way they got there was by terrorism, white supremacy going into communities and saying we own and run this place and we're going to intimidate you and we're going to bring violence to you and so that's why I say terrorism. That, that's good. That, that separates this guy from Jeffrey Dahmer. Correct. Who yeah. just killed, you know. Who just, yeah. Like who, has a, who has a whatever, a fascination with right. with, with murder or with death and whatever. whatever right. I don't, I'm trying to understand that guy. Yeah, but, exactly. But, but, that's, but I think but that's he's not make, But he's not making a point. Right. Like he's not, it's not, yes. Yeah, and so that's where when you get into some of these mass shootings, that's it's such a good distinction. It's why we're talking about this one so much more than we are talking about Dayton because, we, we A, we don't know as much about it, but this one is very cut and dry. Like he had a particular target that he was going after. You can say the same thing about a Dylan Roof, right? right? Like he specifically targeted a black church 
church and he and he had in his manifesto, if you will, you know, he said, you guys are raping our women. You guys are taking our country, those kinds of things. You'll see this with those who uh, who have attacks against Muslim synagogues, yeah. right, or, or, synagogues Muslim, Muslim uh, mosques, excuse me. And then also those who attack <laughs> Jewish synagogues. Right. Like there is a sense I'm going after a specific type of person. So this is different from like the the Newtown shooting. Right. Where, where they go into a school and do that kind of stuff. It's just a, right. a separation. Right. And so that's where I think we're in some ways we're on the mic today, kind of helping us be able to to uh, critique or, or understand culture and understand what's going on in the news yeah. a little bit better from the racial aspect. Right, right. right. And that's what, again, you know, we we're, this thing is is driven by the ideology, by a racist ideology, and, it, and that ideology has led to a tragic shift in the way people uh, in in lifestyles and life in general for a bunch of people down in El Paso. Yeah. So we have this. We have these. This mass shooting in El Paso. We have the one in Dayton. We have. I mean, it happens all the time. So what? What? <laughs> I want to ask the question: What do we do about this? Right. I, and and I know we can get into sort of gun control and all that stuff, which is a very, a very complicated topic. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. Um. Uh, you know, well, from a Christian, you know, we talk and about I think like, that's helpful from a yeah, Christian perspective. How yeah, can we, I'll just talk together? about myself, my personal yeah. stuff, and what I'm wrestling with. So, like, I always talk about identity, and I always and, and yeah. identity comes down to three questions. You know, who am I? Who is my enemy? What is my goal? These are this is to me what what these are the rules around how I understand identity. And so, when I say who am I, when I read this, I read this article. I say who am I? Well. If I adopt my primary identity as a Christian, then I'd say I am a child of God, right? I'm not an American. I'm not a black man. I'm not a, a, a Texan. You know, I'm not an, any of these sub-identities. I'm a child of God. Who is the enemy? The enemy is still Satan. Yeah. The enemy is not this young man. The enemy is not white supremacists or white nationalists. It is still Satan. And it's Satan. It is, and, and then what is progress? Progress is kingdom progress. And so when I look at this, this is a spiritual, just speaking from my personal point of view, with that lens, with the identity of Christian, you say, man, we suffered a spiritual loss. Mm. And I think that if we're Christians, if we're as Christians looking at this space, I think we need to take responsibility for the fact that particularly, again, for myself, you know, I, I lead a young adult ministry here in Collin County, which is where this young man lives, lived. Uh, and this guy is three miles from my ministry. And, and I have to allow the fact that, you know, I can't take full responsibility for, for this guy's individual actions, but I need to allow that there's something about the ministry that we're doing for me, particularly to reach this guy. Mm-hmm. There's a loss that we, we, we held an L as a result of this, like there's a, I can't, you know, one of the things that's keeping me up over the last couple of nights is, man, what if Elevate or what if the young adult ministry that I lead could have reached this guy and 20 lives, you know, would, would not have to be safe? What if, you yeah. know, and what, and what causes us to do that? So I think, I think, I think from a Christian point of view, it starts with not allowing the conversation to just be about the sub identity, um, oppositions of white people, white nationalism and all this. Those things are there, right? I'm not denying those things, but I think from a spiritual point of view, you say the enemy won. He he took this guy, he and and, and understanding that we're in a spiritual battlefield and 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 this is about, you know, he just made an advancement here and to allow that to somehow inform how we how we operate as Christians um in this space and understanding <coughs> 
this particular battleground, battlefront is something to pay to this being the race, the racial issue is a particular battle battleground where the enemy is using it uh, to advance his purposes. And we've got to figure out how to uh, increase our ability to, you know, resist sure. or push back on his particular deal. So that's a little more, I mean, maybe a little more abstract of an answer, uh, but it is where I'm, it is the starting place where I am. Uh, as, yeah. a, as a Christian. Yeah, and that's it, and, and that's the place we got to be is like where you are. Now, look, I, I I know you and I would I would the only pushback I would have to that is I I think and maybe and you've probably thought about it. I, you you can't you can't reach people you're not reaching. You know what I mean? Like I I know that it feels like hey, this happened on my watch and he, and he's in this area, but at the same time it's like that you did not spit the kind of rhetoric that created this cat. Right. It's what what we have to look at is go. We have to look at ourselves. And am I am I recreating this in other people by the use of the rhetoric that I use? Right. Because this cat, he may never have come to your young adult ministry. And even if he had, if he had determined through the rhetoric that he had heard through whatever ways in which he gets his rhetoric, that that what because there's that if he had if he had determined that this was still the thing he needed to do, it wouldn't have made a difference because there's plenty of uh, organizations out there. I mean, you got the Ku Klux Klan who would say that they are a Christian organization. True that. And still would would f- still marinate in the hate of others, right? They still have the wrong enemy yeah. as they maneuver through things. Yeah. And so I think I think we've got a from a you know, there's lots of things out there going what should be blamed and those kind of things. And definitely in the Christian standpoint, we talk about the idea of Satan and sin. And I don't think that that's something to be taken lightly. Particularly the idea of hate. Like I think about Dr. King's, you know, uh message of uh hate cannot push out hate, only love can do that, right? And so the more we 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 foster this idea of hate of the wrong kind of enemy, the more we will see this kind of thing playing out. So where the church has an opportunity is when they see acts like this happen, they can take a stand very confidently against the aspects of hate which go counter to the gospel, right? When they see something like this El Paso shooting, they can get up on a Sunday morning uh, and instead of the, you know, the obligatory Sort of, and you've talked about this before, yeah, the obligatory. Yeah the, the, yeah, the 32nd, you know, whatever, moment of silence or, uh, which I was really frustrated by seeing this weekend for for some reason more off, more than more than in the past. But well, yeah, just kind of like, hey, hey, by the way, this thing happened last night. Right. We need to make sure we make a mention about that. Sure. And so we just kind of. Yeah. And so we can get past. Inauthentically. Just the, or it feels it, it, it feels enough. It doesn't feel like we've taken on the weight of it, right? And but, part but of the I'm sorry, I'm gonna yeah. interrupt because this is what I mean, though. Like, yeah. you don't feel like you're taking the weight on it because you feel like the only role you have is empathy, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Not responsibility. Right. Like, it's a different thing when you say, "Hey, this happened in my neighborhood." Sure, you know, I know that it's not a hundred percent right, but when you feel the weight of, wait a minute, so we've been wasting our time in the church doing all of this other stuff Mm. that doesn't lead, that may not have led to actual impact in the neighborhood that we live in, you know, for the lost where suddenly um, if we, if we think less about how to attract more Christians to our space and think Uh more about how to actually infiltrate the community, right. Then 
if we don't allow that to hit us in, on some level, right, right, then guys like this happen. We say we act like it's inevitable, like we can do nothing about it, and all we have to offer is empathy, thoughts, and prayers. We're sorry, you know. Oh, we hate that this happened. God has a plan. When there's a sense of responsibility, I think that that Christians and churches can embrace uh, to say, "Wait a minute." That, that did happen on my watch. And you, to ask the question, you sure it's not 100%, but what would it, why didn't we reach him? Like, what was in the way of our ability well, to connect look, him? I, so I, I get that. You know, I, but and, I also think, I also think that and there then it is would help aspect, us with the hate conversation. Yeah, I, I also think, I also do think that there, that people do what people are going to do. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do anything and we shouldn't be out in the community and shouldn't be inserting Christians into the multiple sectors as opposed to saying, hey, stay in your church and have and ask people to come to it. I'm full agreement with that. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think that that will definitely will will definitely give us a bit more credibility, if nothing else, and, and, and opportunity, if nothing else. And open up new problems for us to solve. Like, Absolutely. How do we talk to this young man? Sure. But in if such you, a way, if you if never, we never engage them, then we don't even get well, the chance to deal with how to do it. We just hands off. Yeah, but if you've if people are going to do it, they're going to do it. Right? Like I think about Jesus, right? He had Judas. Right? Like Jesus was there and Judas still did what he was going to do. And that's one of the the, the most terrible things about <laughs> free will uh and most wonderful thing about free will, right? Is that no matter when people get a desire to do the wrong thing, they have the freedom to do it. And what history has taught us is that they will do it. Now, I don't want to put that in sort of the conversation of, well, we shouldn't do anything about it. We should. No, I think we should be trying to beat back the doors of hell at every moment. Yeah. And I think the, and the if way he can in which be radical, we go- well, And if he can be radicalized, which we would, I would say that this young man was. That's a good point. Yeah. If he can be radicalized at 21, yeah. right in the middle of trying to figure out who he is, right, which someone has told him, yeah. you're this, right, <laughs> right? Uh if he could be radicalized at 21, then I think he can, you know, I, I, I hear you. I, I don't doubt it. Look, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. I don't doubt he could be radicalized in the opposite. But what I'm saying is there are, what, 393 million people in this country? Sure. Uh, and billions across the world. They don't all get the opportunity to be radicalized by Christianity, nor— when they are, when they get in contact with Christianity, maybe I don't want them to be radicalized by Christianity, but <laughs> <laughs> or, well, you know, they don't get in contact with, yeah, with yeah. those ideas, indoctrinated, indoctrin- and allow them to to you know live a gospel centered life. Sure, and even some who get who look, there's plenty of people who grew up in church, right? Who have heard the gospel, who have heard the messages, who have been a part of that thing, and they still choose no. Yeah, they're going to go do their thing sure. anyway. Right? Sure, and in those cases, you're like, okay, Paul says, you know, I got to hand you over, but. In this particular scenario, and I don't know whether he was reached or not. But that is the question. If, yeah. if he had look, and for you, if he had come to your spot, and you had, and you, and he had said, "Hey, I heard this from from the the Antoine's ministry, and it made me even more emboldened to go do what I'm going to do." More power to your self reflection of it's it's you know partially your fault, but this cat never stepped a foot in there. Yeah. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't miss this guy because it's not up to you. Just like it's not up to the church that I work at, and it's not up to me to take responsibility for everything that happens. It's up to the church 
collective. So there's a lot of churches in Allen. Sure. There's a lot of people sure. who call themselves Christians in Allen. Sure. Right? Like nine, there's a lot. nine churches in a five-mile radius of this guy's. I mean, I looked at it. Yeah, yeah, of course you did. And so they can kind of look and go, gosh, what could we have done differently? And that's, I think, the one of the responses and the reactions that we can have to this is, and it's I like a, the way you put it's it. It's a step past empathy. Correct. And, and I think it's, I like the way you're articulating it. It's like, Hey, we keep talking about this idea as a church, like, hey, let's just create these things that'll make people come into our building. And that is not going to get it done anymore, right? right? Like, this is it, like this guy wasn't looking for a church. He had already pushed past that. The church has to start getting out and going, doing, and, and you say, I don't know if the right word is infiltrate, right? But but definitely be in the community and live their invade. life. Invade. <laughs> we got to invade. Invade, right. Yeah. We don't want any of that. But we definitely need to be living out our life in the sectors where I think many people don't even think they're they're in a ministry. They don't think they're in ministry because they're not leading a church. You know what I mean? But right. I, we have an opportunity as a church to go and be ministers in all sections and to be putting out love instead of hate. When we get on TV, even as politicians in that sector, if we're a Christian in that, in that sector, to be utilizing the, 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 discussions about how to love your neighbor yeah. as opposed to create them as an enemy, right? you know, as opposed to thinking about it as nationalism and how do we protect this country? Although that is a conversation to be had as a Christian in that environment, you can also have the question or have the discussion of how understanding how to love people who are in your country. Right. Right. And, yeah. And who, and who are different than you. I was I know yeah. we, we wrapping up. I know. Yeah. Uh, but, but I was talking to, to the community to uh, let, Last night, you know, Tuesday night, this week, and I say, listen, you know, we need to understand that this is uh, young adults. Like this is our neighbor. Yeah. Like this yeah. guy was a neighbor of yeah. ours, and and the practices of sticking with the people that are most like yeah, us and being friends with, like these sort of moments in the Christian space, I say, man. I can I can befriend someone who's not like me. The person that sits over there and is quiet, mm-hmm. you know, or what have you. I, don't, I I can try to step into awkward. You know, I say the great sin of young adult ministry of, of young adults is awkwardness. Mm-hmm. They're scared to death of uh-huh. awkward. how dare I don't want to be awkward at uh-huh. all, right? Well, let's just step into the, the the dreary land of awkward in the name of the gospel because you never know if what you if by making that connection, twenty lives could be saved. You know, sure. You know, because um, I'm, I'm if this guy, if the gospel intersects this guy's life in a meaningful way, 20 people are alive today. Potentially, you know, potentially. Yeah, that's and that's that's always the hard part. Right. Is we don't know what we don't know what our effect can have. And so uh, one of the things we need to be intentional about is having an effect. Yeah. Is bringing should be nothing left on the field. I mean, everything should be left everything on the field. Should be left so on if the it field. happens, it has to happen because in spite, in spite of our efforts, not because we missed right. an opportunity. It is, it is a radical love that we can have for folks. Yeah. Uh, what, what if not? If, if nothing we learn from, from, from Jesus is that he loved people radically, uh, in ways that were countercultural, in ways that, that um, <clears throat> caused people to scratch their heads and not know how he could do that. And if we Christians, if, if nothing else that we can take away from this is that we need to be thinking more uh, intentionally about how we— um, We as Christians. We as Christians need to be thinking more intentionally how we label people, uh, the kind of verbiage that we use, um, how we talk about people in our, in our, our small groups, if you will, our, 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 our spirit, spheres of influence, how we live out our life at work, at school, uh, in our neighborhoods, at the grocery store— 
um, any place that we go, we need to be a radical proponent of love because we never know who we might be impacting uh, as we do that. And we need to be, as your point, be looking to people beyond just those who are like us, but be challenging ourselves right. to see those who look different than us and see what God sees in them. Right. If this cat had had a Christian mindset and been able to see what God saw with these people that he murdered, yeah. it would have been a different thing. It's a different thing. And these are human beings. Yeah. These are not just pawns in a political scam, it's right. a scam or, or, or a game. A game. These are real people. Yeah. And they lost their life because of the continual construction of identity, misplaced identity, and white supremacy. And so we've got to do something different about that. And every church, uh, when these kinds of things come up, when you can differentiate, when you can p- pinpoint it, you need to stand up and denounce that, denounce this white supremacy construction project at every opportunity. Yeah, and look for places. I mean, I just look for places to own something. Yeah. I mean, I just do, man. I mean, it, it, you can't always do it, but, you know, you can't always be the one that's finger pointing. Like, at some point, you got to look and say, is there a role that I can play yeah. to, in solutions on this? Yeah, and fair. and And is there something that I did that could have, didn't do that could have, that maybe could have changed the tide, and then you start to make changes. That's why laws get passed. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's why the political spirit happens. That's why the solutions get offered. They're like, hey, dang it, well, maybe we would have prevented that if we would have, uh-huh. right? And it's the same sort of question has to be, had, has to be asked uh, in a spiritual sense. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, that's, that's you know, again, it's kind of a, a jump, a drop in the bucket, if you will, around this sure. topic. And uh, hopefully we won't have to do this again. But I think if history has taught us that we may have to do this Prob- again until, until there's solutions, we got to do this again. So, hey, uh, thanks for jumping in uh, and doing this quick, Antoine. Thank you, Raleigh and the booth for getting us uh, an opportunity to sit here in the studio. And thank you, audience, for listening in. Uh, we know that there's ways in which uh, this conversation is complicated, but we hope we've been able to give you a, a good uh, back and forth thinking about it in the context of race, Christianity, and culture, right? Because uh, that's what we do here at Color Commentary. This is a colorful world. Uh, we are we are full of many colors, and uh, we want everyone to be thinking of themselves uh, as a group of folks together in this colorful world. So this has been Color Commentary. Stay colored out there.